0: to out of curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. I'm Garland and uh, hey today we are going to continue our discussion of the book of Revelation and all things in times. And so the question that we want to talk about today is how do you interpret a book like Revelation Garland? why given that we have studies on how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible. Why do you specifically have to ask a question about interpretation for
1: a book like Revelation? Uh, yeah, so uh, Revelation is a book that uh, I think many different commentators, many different scholars, uh, church historians have approached in wildly different ways. Uh, and so, it, when we when we look at a book like Revelation, because it's got so much confusion, uh, we want to help clarify that right here. And so it's it's had different approaches that of the ways people have looked at it, and we want to sort those out for people yeah. reading it. So what are the unique challenges in interpreting a book like Revelation? Uh, the first thing is the genre. Uh, okay. The very first thing about Revelation that we have to get uh, kind of get straight is this genre of what it is. And it's actually it's a it's a genre that has three parts to it, we might say. okay, And so the first thing is Revelation is a prophecy. It's a prophetic book. And when we talk about a prophecy, uh, so we think about the prophetic books in our Old Testament, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, these kinds of books, Isaiah. And when we talk about the same thing in the New Testament, what comes to our mind first, like when I say the word prophecy, what comes to your mind first? I mean, predicting the future. Okay, predicting the future. And uh, that it's true that that is sometimes what prophets did in yep. the Old Testament. Um, but mo- that's not mostly what the prophets were doing in the Old Testament. We might think of the prophets as they were they were looking at the covenant, the mm-hmm. Israel's covenant with God and giving their people, their fellow countrymen an assessment on how well they're doing. Yeah, And oftentimes the predictions they're making are not all that uh, extreme. So for a prophet like Isaiah to say, God is bringing that nation Assyria that you can see is gaining power. Mm-hmm. If you don't repent, they're going to come destroy you. That's not that bold of a prediction right. um, in in Isaiah's day, for example. And so I think when we think of prophecy as exclusively future telling and making, uh, you know, bold predictions about the future. That's really not what prophecy is. And revelation is going to be uh, in a similar vein.
0: One of the ways one of our professors described it is if you're, you're watching a, a sports game, um, you have commentators that are helping explain to the to the listener or the viewer what's happening on the field. They're giving right. you like explanation and and perspective on everything that's going on in the field. And in many ways, the prophets are giving God's perspective on what's happening on Earth and what's happening with Israel. They're yeah. saying, Israel, this is what's
1: happening in the world, and this is how God sees it, and this is why it's happening the way it is. And that's that's a that's a really good analogy uh, of thinking about what prophets do. And Revelation is going to be very similar. Uh, the second thing we have to understand is it's an apocalypse. Okay. So the word apocalypse. What comes to your mind when I say apocalypse?
0: Uh, when I think of apocalypse, I think end of the world, destruction. Yes. You know, helicopters flying bombs, over nuclear bomb bombs, nuclear yeah. bombs, all
1: sorts of there or alien invasion kind of yep. thing. Uh, and uh, that's how the English word word apocalypse is uh, understood, I guess now and it's, sure. just, it's because that's what we assume Revelation is talking about the right. end of the space time universe, the world kind of blowing up and the good people getting out of here. Yep. Uh, the, the issue with that is the word apocalypse. Uh, do you want to define it? Yeah, in Greek. Yeah. I mean, it means to to unveil or
0: to reveal to make something known that wasn't known before.
1: That's so much more mild. Yes. (laughs) End of the world. (laughs) Than nuclear bombs. Yeah. And so the very first word is uh, in the book of Revelation. It is. This is the apocalypse or the revealing. It's a good word for it. The revealing of God's perspective on things going on in the world. And so in, in that sense, it sounds very much like that same thing you just said for prophecy. Now, in the first century, this kind of genre of an apocalyptic style of literature had become, uh, it had become important to those Jews and then early Christians living in what we call the second temple period. This is the the time between five, uh, roughly 570 AD. This was a, a genre of literature that uh, we might say mm-hmm. imagery to describe mm-hmm. earthly events. Now, just as, uh, by way of a definition, I think this is helpful. Uh, This is a a scholar named uh, uh, J.J. Collins writes this. An apocalypse is a genre of revelatory literature with a narrative framework in which a revelation or an unveiling is mediated by an otherworldly being to a human recipient, disclosing a transcendent reality, which is both temporal. It's about time. And so far, it it, it envisages eschatological salvation and it's spatial insofar as it involves another supernatural world. Here's the point. That's Holy very smokes, That's very wordy. You like that. You love how scholars always use big words when small words would work. Let me give a definition that requires yeah. you to find seven. I mean, of. What do I do with this definition? Here's what they're trying to say. Uh, an apocalypse is apocalypse is a genre mm-hmm. of literature that tells a story right using symbols to describe earthly things. Yes. That's what they're trying to say. Okay, so very simple. Now, so revelation is both a prophecy mm-hmm. and it's an apocalypse. And lastly, and this is the part I think we miss, it's a letter. Okay. Just like Paul wrote letters and we read Mm -hmm. them like Romans or first Thessalonians and Galatians, revelation is intended to be understood as a letter. How do we know that? Like where, what's our clues that that's a a letter? Well, right off the bat, we're told these, we we have little letters written to these seven churches. And so this revelation is meant to circulate around the, what we call Turkey now, Asia, back in the first century. Mm -hmm. It's a apocalyptic prophecy meant to circulate around the churches. So how does that knowledge that it's a letter shape the way we read the book? Uh, What that does is it helps us understand that this is pastoral. Mm -hmm. It is about it is about the life of the church. It's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to radical obedience and not necessarily not exclusively we might say some sort of future code that we're going to understand one day looking back on it and so it was meant to be read and understood by the churches in the author's day and also we might say churches throughout uh, uh, church history so
0: whatever approach to interpreting we take if it's a letter written to these churches, it should be something that those churches could have understood.
1: Yes, that's a, that's a fair assumption to make when yes. we're reading the revelation. Yes, absolutely. And uh, when we come to the book of revelation, um, there's lots of debate about how to structure the book, mm-hmm. uh, lots of debate about what we do uh, with making sense of the big picture of the book. And uh, if you have a question, you can send it in to us and we might could talk about that, but what we want to look at now is uh, we'll, we'll call them interpretive approaches, I like to think of them as when you read the revelation, you're going to put a particular set of glasses on mm-hmm. and then you're going to read it with those glasses on and you love wearing your glasses during the season of wearing. Yes, a COVID I, mask. I've had I've had to go to glasses now and I don't like them. Uh, I don't like having to acknowledge that my eyes are failing me and mm-hmm. then I have to wear a mask and they fog up and so and I can't get the context to work. So I'm just stuck. So, uh, but when we talk about these glasses, um, we're going to put them on and read the revelation. We all do. Yep. Uh, and let's just be honest about it. And let's look at those different glasses. And so uh, you might call these uh, interpretive approaches okay. uh, or interpretive lenses by which we see the book of Revelation. I'm going to steal from a scholar named Michael Gorman because I think his chart makes the big words yep. make a lot more sense. I and mean, okay. usually what we do here is we start throwing out these big words and uh, that I found that to land a little bit confusedly on people when I've talked about it that way. And so what we want to do here is uh, we're going to do a chart. Okay, so uh, if this we had be a,
0: awesome to do a chart a chart verbally. With, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> audio uh, only.
1: if you're if you're listening to this to try to picture this chart in your head uh, as best as you can or you can sit down and draw it out because this I think helps make sense of how we understand the book. So it's going to be a, a, a regular old x y axis chart and which one is which is which on the the, the chart it's x an, axis x is horizontal is the, the Y is the ladder going up and yep. X is the ladder? I don't know why. That's the way I remember that. Ladder up and ladder. That doesn't help at all. Sideways ladder. <laughs> yeah, that does, That's an awesome. But image. I don't. I don't have no way of understanding which one is the Y or the X. I Doesn't. I never remember it. So Garland was a poetry major in college. You're darn right. I was. Uh, and so don't you forget it. <laughs> so the the X axis is the horizontal one. Yes. Okay. And the Y is the vertical. So um, if we think about the Y axis and just mentally put at the top of the Y axis past. Okay. At the middle. The middle. The center, the center part. Put present. And the bottom of the y-axis, put future. Okay. Past, I haven't present, seen this chart, future. so I'm actually yeah, so, with listeners visualizing what you're saying. Visualize your that in your head, okay. okay? So, past, present, future, and then on the x-axis, on the left side, mm-hmm. just in your mind, picture uh, code. Okay. Okay. So the the revelation is a set of code that I'm that has a one to one correspondence. Okay? okay. So this so,
0: image means this thing.
1: Yeah. So the the locusts that take place are a code with a one-to-one correspondence and we might find out one day it's blackhawk helicopters or missiles or something. Okay. So it's, it's has a one-to-one correspondence. It's to be decoded. Got it. On the right side of the x-axis picture, uh, put the word uh, lens or symbol. Okay. Okay. So locus is a symbol that God uses oftentimes in the Bible for him bringing judgment. Okay. So that'd be an idea. So I get some spectrums. I get on the
0: y-axis all the way from past to present to future and on the x-axis I get from one to one encoded to more general symbol is that is that the difference here between concrete one to one versus more of a, a big picture symbol yes
1: absolutely that's okay. that's, a, that's that's a perfect way to understand it and so if you think about it uh, we're going to put our big words onto this chart because okay. uh, I, I think this helps make sense of the big words uh, if you are bottom left so future code Yep. Then we call that the futurist approach. Okay. So what when you read the revelation, you are looking at this as code, mm-hmm. one-to-one correspondence to things that will take place in the future. So they the codes are happen. giving
0: us events. They're events. Things that are gonna happen. Exactly. So when I read about a, a locust swarm, I'm looking for some future event that this locust this locus swarm is representing. Yes. And I'm to decode it to understand what
1: that future event will Perfect. be. Perfect. So, so What I'm looking for in the mark of the beast, for example, which we're going to talk about in a later podcast, uh, that is a particular mark that a particular figure in the future will have the earth uh, adopt kind of thing. So if you are top left, so past code, then you think that when you read the revelation, you are seeing all of the events in revelation as having already taken place in the first century at the time of John's writing. Mm -hmm. So, the beast, let's say in Revelation thirteen, is a past, probably a Roman emperor. So you are going to identify. You are looking to go. You are trying to look at what we have of Roman
0: history in the first century and going. How do I identify all of one these to one code things yeah. with events in the past. exactly? So that okay.
1: we call that the preterist view. Okay. So bottom left futurist, top left preterist, which just means past. Okay. Big word when a small word would work, and then if you take basically past, present and future, the full left side of our chart, Mm -hmm. we call that the historicist view. What the historicist view is doing is looking at all of church history. This was the view of uh, some of the reformers like Martin Luther. Uh So they're looking at Revelation as painting the story of all of the church age. Mm -hmm. So that at this point, 2,000 years and saying this has a one-to-one correspondence, but it's over centuries or at this point, millennia. So that beast might be, the one of the Popes in the Middle Ages. And right. so Martin Luther, uh, when, when he looked at it, he was building a chronology of the 1,500 years from Jesus to him in his day. We call that the historicist view. Got okay? it. So, so all
0: of those are on the left side of coded. Yes. And the spectrum is past, present, and
1: future. You're looking for a one-to-one correspondence, and we're trying to decode Revelation. Mm-hmm. The right side of the chart is we're looking at Revelation as a lens to see things that take place throughout the generations of the church. These are not one-to-one in their correspondence. It's symbolically giving us uh, pictures that that evoke our imagination of things that take place in the world. And so Mm -hmm. uh, a good example of this would be the beast might be not just a one-to-one correspondence of some kind of figure who will arise or some kind of empire who will arise, but all world empires that stand against the things of God. And as a, as a person reading it from this view, you're going to see it as a, it's an invitation to the reader to look at their world through a heavenly perspective, not uh, and see what God sees when they look at the world. And so we call that the idealist view. So at any point in
0: history, I could look at the empires that are raging against the way
1: of God and go, that's the beast of revelation. That's That's the symbol of that beast in revelation. And it's all of those kinds of things. So it's
0: more true of what happens on earth than what yes.
1: happened or will happen at a certain time. Yes. This is the way the world works. Absolutely. Now, okay. let's be clear. All of these views acknowledge that Jesus' return and establishing new heavens and new earth is a future thing. Future, Has, literal. Yeah, yep. hasn't happened yet. And so the question then becomes, what do we do with the rest, kind of the bulk of Revelation? And those are the four, uh, we might call them interpretive approaches or the glasses that you're going to put on. And so if you think about the left behind books, Yep. for example, they're taking the bottom left view, yep. the futurist view. Futurist encoded events to come. And it seems like that's, I think, what most, just most people I talk to, if you said, what are what's Revelation about? They can't help but go in their minds to the left behind either books or movies. If they've become widely uh, understood as, well, that's, I guess, how it's going to happen. Yeah. And all we want to do in this uh, particular episode is just say, Here's the approaches, mm-hmm. and it's worth investigating those different approaches. Uh, it, what's What's interesting as I look at it is each of those approaches has really favorable things yeah. uh, in the way that they look at it. And so there are very clear things that somebody reading this in the first century would go, that's Rome. Yeah. So the beast is called a seven-hilled city, and that's widely understood in the first century to be Rome. Rome yep. was the famous seven-hilled city, and uh, one of the hills was where the, the capital sat and where the palace sat. And anybody reading that in the first century is going to go, well, that that's Rome. Yeah. And so the preterist view is helpful to mm-hmm. make sense of how somebody in reading the revelation in the first century would understand it. Uh, it could also be that there's going to be a, a figure that is like Rome that will arise before Jesus comes back. Yep. So there might be something in the futurist approach that is really helpful and to help make sense of this. Mm-hmm. It also might be that that Rome is symbolic. It's all Rome is also called in the Revelation Babylon or Mystery Babylon. Mm-hmm. And the city that is also it's also called the place where Jesus was crucified. Yeah. So Revelation's giving us a little bit of mystery as to what the city is, and it might be indicating that any city that elevates itself, like Babylon did, to try to make a name for itself represents this beastly empire. So then that since the idealist approach is helpful and we can read it with urgency now in our day. And so uh, all of these approaches have things that are favorable and on, we might say on their side. And it, I think it's just helpful for us to be aware. Okay. So which one's right? <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. Um, different church traditions have adopted different glasses and put those different glasses on. And so what what, what I tend to favor is I, I actually think that all of the approaches have things that are really helpful and make sense of revelation for me. And so I, I think the preterist view has some things that are right. Mm-hmm. I think the futurist view has some things that are right. I think the idealist view has some things that are right. And so as we look at the revelation, uh, I think having new, be, being, being okay with nuance, mm-hmm. I think when we jump into one, with one particular set of glasses thinking that's the the way that can sometimes get us into error Uh, and so I'll let the re, I'll let the listener of this go and investigate and, mm-hmm. uh, and be able to discover which set of glasses they think makes the most sense. But we just want to uh, help people see and be exposed to the different uh, interpretive approaches.
0: Cool. And so as we go forward in this and we ask questions about the mark of the beast and the antichrist, you're going to be bringing all
1: of those perspectives Absolutely. to help us inform how to answer those questions. We have to, because okay. I think what we tend to do is we automatically jump to one set of glasses and, uh, in the rest of these conversations we're going to have to have a little bit more nuance than that very
0: helpful well we'll continue our study of uh, end times and revelation all that stuff in future episodes thanks for listening to out of curiosity thank you for listening to out of curiosity as we discussed how do i interpret revelation we encourage you to look into this more in out of curiosity episode 51 if you want to send in a question or contact us go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on instagram at oocuriosity Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future
1: episodes.